Serum Visions is a Magic the Gathering podcast. 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 Open your mind and be welcomed. In this supplemental episode of Serum Visions, we welcome guest Grilled Cheese to discuss the vengeance of the Goreo, to lament the loss of seismic assault, and discuss the completion of Urza's saga. The oil, the oil is within you now. Prepare yourself. Welcome to our second bonus episode, 26B, for those of you keeping track, of the Serum Visions podcast. Coming to you from an unmarked grave, I am one of your hosts, Brian Madden. Joining me is a man who persists, Zach Ryle. How are you, Zach? I'm very confused because I I thought I was undying, and now I have a minus one, minus one counter, and I just, I don't know what to do. I'm going to have to call a judge when I die. Uh, yeah, that's very, uh, that's, that's complicated, especially because we got this weird Archon out that you don't have flying, so you're going to come back again, and you get another counter, and which rules take precedence? This is all yep, too much. Yeah, and there's a Moth, and, like, an Archetype, which says I can't game First Strike, and then, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, man. Too many layers, too many layers. Layers, man, layers. All right, well, we can leave all that behind and worry about it another time. I would like to welcome, joining us for our second ever bonus episode is a legendary sandwich and a delightful brewer, Ian Grilled Cheese Sivak. Welcome, Ian. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Ah, No complaints here, other than the fact that uh, we just spent 45 minutes trying to get set up because my (laughs) computers are giving me nothing but trouble. I got to do some in-paper magic judging yesterday, um, oh. and uh, and I got to uh, learn more about the uh, daybound nightbound mechanic than uh, than than anyone who only plays modern will probably ever need to know. Um, Was it a pain in the butt having to track that? I don't think so. I think people were pretty good about it, and uh, my opening announcement made it very, very clear that's like you only need to pay attention to the active player, so that's cut and dried. And um, and then uh, as soon as you get any any weird rules stuff that happens, uh, just call me over. For example, I did not know that if you play a daybound nightbound creature and it's nighttime, it comes in on the night side. Things oh. things I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not, well, if it's, if you haven't introduced the day-night card, then it's not. If you actually did play something that, that introduced the day-night card, then I, I, I don't know if you have to announce it, but it's certainly not wrong to. I like to announce that I have the city's blessing, even though I'm not playing With cards. With the sense? Uh, the city's <laughs> blessing, yeah. You would have the city's blessing if it were to come up. You'd be ready. Yeah. Yes, yep. exactly. And I, I even keep the little token card just as a <laughs> reminder to my opponents. You gotta really psych people out and make sure that like, when you open your deck box and paper that they can see the City's Blessing counter there. They'll be like, what nonsense are they playing? <laughs> 
Yeah, well, that's usually a pretty typical question at my LGS. I uh, I tried to play a Bolas's Citadel Brew last week, and um, I ended up dropping, and I felt really bad as my opponents watched as I played Magic. <laughs> it uh, it went okay for me, but maybe not okay for everybody else. I, I heard else. that deck is tearing up in Pioneer. I know nothing about Pioneer. That list looks really cool. It makes a, Prosperous Innkeeper looks really, really good in that deck. Yes, yeah, it was a good ad. It was definitely a good ad. I, uh, yeah, I, I got some more spice, but we'll talk about that next week. We are here uh, because uh, Ian, you've got some some spicy things on the griddle. Um, but before we dive into some of your brews, uh, why don't you give us a little background? Uh, who or what is a grilled cheese? Yeah, so uh, my name is Ian Sebak. Uh, I'm 33 years old. Uh, I grew up in Chicago uh, and. Uh, I went to the, I go to the same LGS as Stan from the Dive Down, so shout out to them. Um, uh, married uh, three years ago and had a daughter about 50 days ago, uh, so so learning that. And uh, I'm an accountant. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, it's very, uh, very fulfilling. Uh, so I started playing Kitchen Table Magic uh, around Mercadian Masks. Uh, my first deck was a a red white uh, stone rain deck that had uh, nice. that tried to, to kill all of their lands before uh, before landing a desolation giant to, to clear the board uh, and attack for three the rest of the way home. So um, nice. started playing competitively in Theros. Uh, got really into mono red devotion. Started going to uh, you know Friday night magics things like that. Uh, got really into the sort of competitive scene. Uh, and then, uh, and then, in 2017, after uh, right after the summer bloom ban, I decided to, to hop into Amulet and uh, kind of uh, in, get introduced to the modern format and kind of threw myself all in with that. Um, people know me uh, may know me as the owner and creator of the Amulet Titan Discord uh, a few years back um, when I started learning the deck, and uh, and so. Then I, I so I dabble a little bit in Legacy Unlimited, but for the most part, I just exclusively play modern. I love brewing decks and iterating on existing archetypes. I really, uh, I really enjoy the modern card pool and the fact that you really, you know, the times are a change in, but you can still kind of brew some nonsense and and win some games, even competitive ones in the yeah, modern format. Which it, it feels even more open now um for for brews and things that are off meta to be competitive than it was before modern horizons 2 came out um which i guess leads to a, a nice question about uh, how do you feel about the general shape of things w- with the release and inclusion of modern horizons 2 we've, we've had uh was like two months about now to kind of get used to it all and uh what, what do you feel about all that uh i think it's i i love modern post post modern horizons 2 uh uh, modern. Uh, I think that the way I think about modern in general is there's always pillars, right? And, and kind of I, I approach my brewing a lot like this, where you know, in the past it was you have to you have to be trying if you can't be trying or burn you you can't you can't play in a modern, right? Uh, and then it used to be maybe you can't beat affinity, you can't beat you know maybe a couple other decks. Now those the, the goalposts just kind of changed, right? Now it's you, you have to be able to beat the monkey DRC deck. You have to be able to do something against Living End. You have to be able to do something against Rhinos. And you still have to be able to beat Tron and Burn. But, you know, if you can beat those cards, and I think you can beat a lot of those cards, I mean, you can just stick Leylands in your deck and you're going to beat a lot of the DRC decks and you can, you know, you know, there's options, right? And I think that's, there's, we're not in any kind of Hogak mega meta or anything like that where, you know, 
that you're just being a lot of the decks are gatekeeped out by a couple boogeymen in the format. I think that there's a lot of room to explore. One of the things I've really enjoyed is watching the the top tier decks have to often sort of bend over backwards um, to either protect vulnerabilities or to deal with something else to a point where someone else can come in and go like, oh, but you left this entire other gap that we're going to exploit. Mm-hmm. Um, although, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it changes so much week to week that it's hard to, uh, it's hard to keep up with. But if you've got a sharp, sharp head on you, um, then you can do that. As we were talking about before, um, surgical extraction may be a good tool for the, for the next week or two. Um, possibly with the popularity of the Esper deck and, and maybe this Phoenix deck. Um, but the uh, Leyline of the Void, which I've seen in a whole bunch of your, your decks and a whole bunch of other people recently, has been uh, back for the first time in a while. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, I've been running Leyline in my sideboard for like two or three weeks now uh, at the LGS, and, and I've been putting in some of my decks online, and I was shocked at the <laughs> lack of interaction for it. Like... I had multiple people in my LGS be like, what? You're playing Leyline? Who who plays Leyline right now? And I was like, well, everybody's utilizing their graveyard. Everybody is playing Dragon's Rage Channeler. Like, why wouldn't I play Leyline? Well, yeah, I wasn't yeah. expecting that. Yeah, that's okay. exactly why I was too, running too it. Too bad for you. I mean, like, it only takes one time of, like, cracking your Nile Spellbomb on turn three just for DRC, two DRCs to put ten cards in the graveyard and for them to cast an 8-8 Merc yep. Tide on turn four for you to realize that Maybe you need something else. That's not gonna be enough. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. One one other yeah. thing is you can you can kind of tell the parody of, of the the post MH2 format based on the fact that we had our two trophy leaders in a you know competing head to head on the last day and they each probably played ten different archetypes and they each got one trophy you know and 40, 42 <laughs> yeah. was enough to win the trophy race and that's the lowest I can remember in a long time you know it's it's the best players are not all playing the same deck and and winning everything with it. The best players are getting a lot of four ones. And that's, that's a sign that I think you have a healthy format. Yeah. That's a, a very good, um, sort of litmus test. There's, uh, (laughs) how are the best players doing? And if the best players aren't consistently going five, Oh, that, that is a, that is a good sign of a healthy format because it means that you can't sure up every single match. Again, you know, uh, against all of the other top decks, it's just it's too broad, and that's what we like as brewers. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and and so speaking of brewers, this is this is really something we're looking at here. Um, I, I've uh, mentioned it in a bunch of different ways on uh, this week in modern, um, and uh, but it turns out that you are more associated with the particular version we're looking at here, which is playing. Uh, as more Anomartic Dyson and Akul Dakar um, than the ones that are not. So if anyone got an impression, I believe I may have stated such at some time, uh, that is not the case. So this is the Grilled, G- grilled Cheese Special, um, or at least the Grilled Cheese Special of the moment. I'm sure there are more coming because uh, we've got some of your other brews to talk about. But uh, this this is sweet. So h- how did you get to this? Where did this all come from? And, and what is this deck doing? Yeah, so this deck... Uh... This deck was the genesis of me remembering uh, how powerful the old uh, the old uh, Grishel brand lists were, and trying to see if I could make it work again post looting, post Simeon Spirit Guide bans. Um, and so I sort of started with that list, and uh, and I started with uh, actually I started with 
uh, Dom Harvey's uh, May 2019 SCG Louisville uh, top 16 list, which I remember watching that event. And it, it was right, I think it was maybe like two weeks after he had like won an SCG Open with the Breach Emrakul Amulet Titan list. And it seemed like basically anything he showed up with, he was just going to top eight. Um, and I just saw him tearing up the leaderboards. Thought it was a great list. It was the old list with the had like four four um, four Ilhargs, four Grishelbrand, four, four Emrakul. Yeah. It had like the sir, what is it, the generator servants to to ramp yeah, out yeah, Casey yeah. Ilhargs. So um, that was a Grizzle Pig. Gr- yeah, uh, Boreo's Vengeance yeah, was another name for it, I think. Yeah, Boreo's Vengeance. Yeah, it nice. had t- it had two great punny names, and it wasn't um, Gris Shoal brand because it wasn't playing any of the uh, any of the the nonsense where you're trying to draw your whole deck and win the game that way. Yeah. Um, it was just very much all in on uh, Goryo's Vengeance and uh, Through the Breach, which your either your original version or the other ones that have been popping up recently are doing. They are playing Through the Breach, but this version here is not. So there was some development that occurred. Yes. So I started with that list and I was not having much success. The first observation I noted was that Haggle and Insulin Neonate had been, uh, had, we had, you know, eight copies of that effect now. Right. Um, and wow. so, uh, I kind of tried to build those into the list. Uh, and it just really kind of felt like you needed Goro's Vengeance in your hand to do anything. Um, and also was pretty susceptible to a lot of hate. So then, uh, I started making some tweaks to try and make it a little bit more competitive in, in you know, mid-range matchups, interact a little bit. Um, I, uh, I was running into a lot of card advantage issues. You made the observation, uh, uh, I think we had talked previously, no Oval Chase Daredevil on this list. And so, you know, Cookbook is, uh, if you have no Oval Chase Daredevil and you're making food, it's pretty easy to run out of cards in your hand. And so I was, uh, that was happening a lot. So I splashed into uh, green for Ren and Six, but then I was just kind of filling my hand up with lands and 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 not business. Uh, so then I switched into blue, and just put all of the all of the cards, all of the decks are playing now. I you know I, I slammed some some expressive iteration, some prismatic commands, uh, some of that stuff, but also really not. I mean. The problem was that you needed four Goyo's Vengeance, and you needed to find that card specifically, or else your deck wasn't really doing anything. And all those cards are kind of, you know, you just draw a lot of cards, but not no action. What uh, was my experience, uh, or yeah, that was sort of my my testing feedback. So then what I did was I went back to black red because the mana is a lot better, um, and I threw the Asmos Saga package in there, and it was sort of a revelation. And I have. Uh, uh, a theory on sort of why it's so good. Uh, the first thing is that uh, I was trying to build sort of a, a combo control strategy where I was drawing a bunch of cards uh, and then it sort of deploying my combo. Whereas just by the nature of this, it's sort of a um, sort of an all-in strategy anyway, just because you have to spend so many cards and shuffle your graveyard back into your library just to kind of you know deploy the combo. Um, so it kind of makes more sense to just go all in on it. And then the other thing was that uh, Saga is just amazing in the list. Uh, and one of the reasons it's so amazing is because the curve is so low. It's uh, it's approximately like 17 one-drops and 10 two-drops if you count Stomp as a two-drop, which for, for all intents and purposes, you usually cast Stomp and not even the other half in the matchups you need it. Um, and uh, so you kind of empty your hand of business spells 
and then you just start making constructs and the constructs usually come down as five fives or six sixes so um helps a lot in those mid-range match mid-range matches um and i guess the last thing i would add is uh uh you know, it, it costs a lot of ticks to to make a lot of these observations. It's uh, all part of the brewing process yeah. <laughs> is, is making mistakes and learning from them. So, well, one of the play patterns that when I when I picked up these decks that I w- I wouldn't think could possibly be successful, and it definitely was, was turn one saga nothing go, um, which because in this deck the only thing you can cast with that saga is a cookbook. And if you're playing the Saga on one, you probably don't have a cookbook in your hand. But what you're doing is you're setting up for turn three, where you're going to float the mana, get the cookbook, then discard your Emrakul or Grizzlebrand, and Goryeo's Vengeance it out. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, um, this particular version is, is very, very kind of clean and clear with all the rule of eight stuff, except you're not playing um, for uh, Through the Breach in addition to the Goryeo's Vengeance because that is a lot of mana to ask out of this deck and having to build it in such a way to consistently get to five, yeah, probably probably not worth it for most um, most versions. Um, but so the, the cookbook is such a big part of these decks, I, I think, and the fact that Saga can get the cookbook is a huge part of it too. Um, that 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 is a is a revelation. So the most crazy thing you can do, which hilariously, if you're on the play, is even not actually worth doing all the time, is like turn one cookbook or neonate, turn two, ditch your Emrakul, bring it back, attack them for fifteen, make them sack six permanents that they don't have yet, unless maybe they're hammer time and they want with one of those crazy starts where they're like, here's five permanents, mm-hmm. then yeah, go win that game. But uh, but it, th- and this the thing is, I have found that this deck versus the old. Uh, Crystal Pig decks has so much more play to it. You you really have a lot of ability to go through a longer game um, and have the mid range strategy pr- provided to you by Urza Saga plus the cookbook, um, and then always be threatening this gigantic hammer blow of the Goryeo's Vengeance. Or sometimes it's buying you time to get there if you don't have it. So it's uh, it's really fascinating. So. You have this version with Asmore, Anomartic, and Dyson, and Akuldakar, so you're already playing four cookbooks. So it is it is kind of like a, a pretty um, easy jump. And uh, I definitely have to try this version again because I have found myself really liking the, the versions with Ragavan and DRC, uh, the Dragon's Rage Chandler. And what what is... Uh, did you try those versions on your way here, or was this the one that you went to first, and then you just settled on this one because Asmora and the whole thing was was what you wanted? Uh, I have tried uh, some versions with those cards. Um, I, I guess I would more interested in uh, in Ragavan than I am in DRC. Um, the DRC bobble package is yeah. is a pretty substantial package, and the fact that our curve, you know, we have a lot of creatures. And we also, so we don't have a lot of non-creatures that are going to trigger this avail. Um, and the fact that, you know, one of the, one of the draws to DRC is that it'll, it'll shore up your, your more interactive matchups, right? It can apply a clock. Well, that's sort of what, you know, I've built this list to do anyway. So uh, mm. if uh, the Ragavan is definitely one that I find interesting, um, especially in combination with Through the Breach. Uh, my experience is that, um, my experience with those cards is that it it makes you uh, you're leaning a lot harder on those cards doing something 
and those cards are very susceptible to removal and aren't very good at interacting, right? If you put anything in front of Ragavan, it's, it's basically doing nothing <laughs> anymore. And DRC, if you're not triggering it often, uh, I don't think is really providing enough value. Um, I mean, if you were if you had a, a deck that had like an average CMC closer to one, like Blue Red Murktide, and you were just like taking half your library and like flipping it into your graveyard every turn, I think you know then you're going to be dumping your your Grizzle Brands and you're going to be you know helping actively helping the combo strategy. But I think for the most part, you are it doesn't really it wasn't moving the needle as much for me. And you know having cards that, you know, cards like Asmore and cards like, uh, you know, Seasoned Pyromancer, um, those cards are, like, actively good in mid-range matchups. Uh, you know, against almost all mid-range matchups, and there's no, there's no one card that you can put in front of it, such as any card with three toughness, you know? Uh, so before we get too deep into the card selection, why don't we actually go over uh, what the deck construction looks like really quickly? <laughs> um so we've got uh, 22 lands here. This is uh, a nice Rakdos uh, lands package. Um, there's nothing particularly spicy uh, other than we've got the four Urza Sagas. So really, this is more of like a 19 land deck. I count Urza Saga as about a quarter of a land. Um, I've heard most people got... go with about a half. But but yeah, I, I agree. It's not a full land. Never count it as a full land. Never go full land drop on Urza Saga. And there's yeah. a ton of the bugbear. Which is yes. new and uh, uh, appealing. Yeah. Uh, and then the only other thing is there is a fiery islet for that, uh, mm. you know, one cycling land uh, after a fashion. Uh, and then we've got uh, four Asmo. We've got three straight re- Street Wraith, uh, four Insolent Neonate, four Underworld Cookbook, three Inquisition of Kozilek, a Thoughtseize, a Lightning Bolt, four Bonecrusher Giant, Three Seasoned Pyromancer, four Gorio's Vengeance, two Wishclaw Talisman, one Grizzlebrand, and four Emrakul. Um, yep. And then sideboard uh, to, to taste. We like to season to taste here. Although three three ley lines is uh, uh, something where I always see that and I go like, oh my god, no, <laughs> I can't. No? I, I, I'm just like, I gotta go all in on ley line because otherwise it's just not gonna work for me. Like, okay. I... I I, I'm not a leyline gamer. I I know it's a good card. I know there's lots of great players who have success with it, and so I just don't I don't know how to pare it down from four and 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 hope to have any success. You know what I mean? I, I um, will say that if you use the, uh, the the MTG probability calculators, I think lay, the difference between three and four is a is a thirty and thirty seven percent chance of having it in your opening hand. So if you have the Nihil Spellbomb, it's thirty seven, right? Um, so, hmm. so, and I also like that, you know, a, a lot of matchups, you like a, like a John, maybe you want a ley line, but you don't want four ley lines. Um, right. Well, you never want to draw more than one, but you have to put four in there for statistics. But then, then you're, I guess you're splitting the difference and saying, well, what if I put in three and a, and a spell bomb? And we assume the spell bomb is better in most cases where I end up drawing two of the effects. Right, right, right. But is sufficient in the one where I have a, a, a good six or seven card hand with just the spell bomb and you go eh it's close enough like it's not a ley line but it's it'll get me there yeah um and for so there's only four vengeances um through the breach is not a replicative effect so you've got two wish claw talismans in there um which i think is a good choice rather than um profane tutor um just because of the the control 
that that gives you a lot of the time. Um, there's no other one drop or zero drop artifacts in this deck other than Underworld Cookbook. And I've seen lots of different versions with uh, one Shadow Spear or a Pyrite Spell Bomb and a Nile Spell Bomb or anything like that in the main deck. And I'm assuming you went through those iterations and then eventually just said, you know, <laughs> I just don't, I don't need it. Um, yeah, I, so I, that's another uh, area that I get a lot of comments on. And I agree, and I, there's certainly games where I wish I had at least something that cycled, right? And that's and that's certainly something you can consider. Um, the spell bomb, um, the spell bombs. Uh, I find that they weren't they weren't coming out on curve well enough for me. Uh, and the shadow spears were um, the shadow spears were uh, it, it's a combo deck. So if it's in your opening hand. It's, it's just diluting your combo, right? Um, whereas a lot of the decks that play the tutor targets for their for their sagas, they're you know they're they're planning on going into turn seven or eight and getting value from these these you know the the, the stuff that the saga generates. But for our part, you know, usually we're either we're comboing or we're a mid range deck. But when we're comboing and we draw shadow spear or pyrite spell bomb, it just feels pretty bad. Um, so. I, I would, I would, I mean, I'm going to be testing this a bunch literally today, I think. Uh, I want to, I want to play this a bunch today um, and a bunch of creativity decks. Um, but uh, my, my, I think my first move is going to be swapping the, the one of Lightning Bolt for a one of Pyrite Spell Bomb because I just feel like that's, I, when I was playing the other versions, that, that was a card that I kind of got to close out a game a couple times mm -hmm. and it, it felt really good. And I, and you can cycle it in the worst case scenario and, and it, uh, isn't isn't too bad but i i saw other versions that were running like one of mishra's bobble i'm like what what is that like come on get that out of that that's that's nonsense i don't care if you're playing dragon's rage channeler like get a one of spell bomb out of there that's that's total nonsense um and then you've gotten a lot of pushback or questions about bone crusher giant and i felt very similar on that so to you what is the appeal of bone crusher giant because you mentioned and highlighted the stomp part of it and I mean, that's Stomp on its own is obviously not a modern playable card. If that was, if that was a card, and it actually probably is in some way, shape, or form, um, then it wouldn't. That wouldn't be something anyone is interested in. So, what makes that so appealing to you um, that you're you're you keep playing it? Sure. Um, so, when I approach building a deck like this, uh, a combo deck. Um, and sort of when I, uh, to be fair, I'm a brewer, so most of my decks are some kind of janky nonsense combo strategy, right? Most most brewers aren't starting their decks with like four Thoughtseize, three Lightning Bolt, you know, four Tarmogoyf. So um, I would say, you know, you need to think about how you beat different types of archetypes, right? And for a combo deck, usually, you know... You, you need to you need to be able to goldfish at the same speed as other combo decks, but then you need to be able to beat attrition decks, which which is just my sort of one word name for anything with a thought seize in it. Um, and then you need to be able to beat combo decks, and you need to be able to beat big mana decks, and then you know other pillars like burn things like that. And so a deck like this, you could either you could either go all in on the combo and you know play no mid range cards, find more tutors, more counter spells, more hand disruption, just jam through your combo, or um, you can try and play more of a sort of uh, a combo control type strategy where you're playing to the board, you're interacting with your opponent, and then when the when the time is right, you you deploy the combo. And so, uh, with the Bone Crusher Giants, uh, 
what I was finding was that, you know, if someone sticks a, a soul guide lantern, you're not going to be doing your combo. You need to find a way to get rid of the soul guide lantern. Well, everybody's got a soul guide lantern in their sideboard or three. And so it's going to happen a lot, or they're going to play, you know, if, if you thought sees uh, the Gorio's vengeance and then play a soul guide lantern, your deck's not really doing anything. Right. Um, and so you can, you can do your best to, you know, try and splash green for veils or, you know, there's different ways that you could try and fight that on a, on a, just a totally control or a combo axis. But I found that with bone crusher giant and here, maybe as an aside, I, I had do brew some other attrition style decks. And if you've played other types of decks, which you guys have, I'm sure there are games where you're like, Oh, this bone crusher giant, what a laughable card. And then there's other games that you play with other decks where they have, they play a seasoned pyromancer or bone crusher giant. And you're like, I just lost the game. I can't do anything against this card. You know, like it is a really powerful mid range card against certain decks that you don't really notice until you're playing like a black green strategy and they kill your thing and play a four, three and you can't, you have to spend a piece of removal to get rid of it. It doesn't, nothing attacks profitably through it. It's just a, it's just a, it's just a hunk of a card. And so, um, that's sort of, you know, as more on turn one or two is a, you know, an above rate card anyway. Um, and it is good on cards if you use a street wraith to get it out. And then season pyromancer and bone crusher giant are just, formidable mid-range cards i will say that bone crusher giant oftentimes in many matchups game one it is stomp and nothing else um or it is just a card that doesn't do anything and and that's okay because in matches like hammer time you have to do something on turn two or you're probably going to lose or um you know against control uh, really the, the biggest matches are you know matches where you need to interact on turn two your burns your your hammers um uh and uh, and and really, Bone Crusher Giant and Season Pyromancer are just incredible in any match with a Thought Seize. My record against Turn One Thought Seize Inquisition is like through the roof, and and to the point where now I'm I'm actively excited when I get Turn One Thought Seize and Inquisitions, which is, which I haven't played many decks where I'm actively excited when that sequence happens. It's usually just a feel bad sequence. You're kind of married to your seven card hand, and now the best card's about to leave. But you know, I'm that's sort of how I tried to build the deck was to. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna see hate post board every game, and you gotta be prepared to do something about it, or just play a different game. And I've I've found this deck does have a very wide, and I've played more of the other versions than this one. But even with the other versions, it has a very wide range of keepable sevens. It's, it is not a combo deck where you feel like you need to push hard to have any particular pieces because there is so much redundancy. It's great in that way. Yeah. So. I think this is probably a good time. Why don't we uh, uh, backtrack a little bit and maybe talk a little bit um, just for anybody who's unfamiliar, you know, what is the core concept of the deck and, you know, what are sort of, there's, there's kind of a couple different uh, discrete packages built in here. Um, you know, what are those packages? Uh, you know, what is a, you know, Zach, you just mentioned that there's a, a wide range of keepable hands, but you know, what are we looking for? um ultimately and and what's the the general game plan and how does it play out sure yeah that that's uh, probably a really good idea because there is some very clever construction which needs to be highlighted uh which has to do with that yeah so the the core cabo would be uh the four cookbooks and the four neonates and then the the gorio's vengeance emerical package uh, and you could throw in that one grizzle brand as well and so uh it would be, as, as Zach highlighted, turn one, discard outlet, Neonator cookbook, turn two, Emrakul, um, turn two, Gorio's Emrakul. And, and one nuance with that is that 
As soon as Emrakul enters the graveyard, a shuffle trigger occurs. And uh, you need to cast Gorya's Vengeance with the shuffle trigger on the stack, or else Emrakul will be shuffled into your library. Which is <laughs> the reason why these two exact discard outlets uh, were selected, is because they can be cast on turn one, and then you can discard a card uh, as an activation, rather than paying mana on turn two. So that when you have two mana on turn two, you can use all of it on your Gorya's Vengeance. And so that was sort of... You know, I started with Neonate Haggle, but then once once I, I cast a bunch of Grizzlebrands on turn two and wasn't winning in Modern, I realized that maybe I needed to lean a little bit more into the uh, Emrakul plan. Uh, the Annihilator 6 plan usually works. So, <laughs> turns out, Annihilator, pretty good. Although, although with the other versions that play more copies of Grizzlebrand, don't play the Wishclaw Talismans, I've gotten a lot of um, wins out of a turn two Grizzlebrand, not because it wins the, me the game on the spot, but because you hit them, gain seven, they take seven, okay. But then you draw seven cards, and then you're just going to do stuff again next turn. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, th- there's definitely some some wiggle room on that one. But uh, Emrakul, game's over. The game's over now, not later. Now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and while yeah, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna create a a, a scenario where you're winning more games than than you're gonna lose against Dredge or against Belcher. Your Grizzlebrand does nothing for the most part. Gaining. You know, right, drawing yeah. seven cards isn't enough. You're you're gonna lose the game from that point probably. So it's so. Uh, so now you had this this core package, which is uh, let's say about sixteen cards, and so you started building around that, um, and that is a black red core. And you you mentioned a lot of the different directions that you went in, um, but for for getting to this version do you know which which of these other cards kind of came out first or together or what was the next uh, step there for you well i would probably say um from here uh i the the asmo package came in next because uh, the sagas okay. came in and the sagas overperformed as they do in any deck that can afford sagas and has the right you know uh, balance uh-huh. of colors and, uh, and and sort of CMC, average CMC levels and things like that. Um, and you already had the eight discard outlets. So leaping to Asmo is just almost, you know, it's just almost natural. Yep. And, and on top of that, the Street Wraith actually, you know, pulls double duty, right? Because you're a combo deck looking for two pieces. And in cycling, a free cycler is actually just great. And, and if that free cycler also gives you turn one Asmos, that's an extremely powerful play, especially if you're following it up with Sagas. Um, that a turn one Asmo into, you know, turn three Construct, turn four Construct uh, is is a, a game that you're going to win almost all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's definitely presenting a, uh, a meaty board. Um, and then uh, Asmo using the food to attack your opponent's stuff, I would say, be, without Oval Chase, is, is a very... Uh, it's not very limited, but it's a limited resource, so you do have to be a little bit careful compared to, you know, we see these food decks and, and they play against something like humans and they just machine gun down like eight creatures in one game. Um, and this this deck just doesn't really have the ability to do that, but I would guess somewhere along the line you found Season Pyromancer. Mm. And one of the things Season Pyromancer loves is when it gets to come down on, on an open or on a uh, empty hand. Absolutely, uh, because it becomes a red card that draws two, which is really obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, and I will say that every game, uh, especially in mid-range matches, I would, I would say probably mostly in mid-range matches, 
because there's no Oval Chase Daredevil, there becomes sort of a fork in the road in the middle of the game where you decide, am I going to sandbag Agorios or Emrakul in my hand and hope I draw the other half? Or am I leaning into the the seasoned Pyromancer, Asmo construct game plan and winning? And and at that point, you know, you, you can't be both. And so you you need to, you know, experience what the deck will, will you know, teach you when you need to make that pivot. Um, you don't want to die with an Emrakul in your hand, right? It, just, it doesn't do anything, so. Yeah, but on the flip side, the deck is powerful enough that occasionally, whichever path you took, you just top deck the other thing you need, and you go like, oh, I mean, I guess I could just win now. <laughs> like, I, I, I had one or two more turns left that I could barely hang on, um, but I guess I could win now. Yeah. yeah, and that's actually a pretty good segue into the Wishcaw Talisman. So that was sort of a yes. late edition. Um, uh-huh. I, I was just running the four Goryos and I, you know, realized the wish clock could be interesting. Profane Tutor was another card that I, I had considered. Um, Profane Tutor, just a little too slow. There's a, you know, turn four combo decks. I, I could, I could show you my Aether Hub. It's full of bad turn four combo decks. It's a <laughs> turn four is just a hard turn to, 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 you know, be a, a game winning combo in modern right now. Um, but, uh, so the wish call talisman is great for a couple of reasons. One, it gets Gorya's Vengeance and Emrakul. And uh, and also, when you Annihilator 6 them, usually that's not one of the things they want to keep. So um, that's a great <laughs> yeah, it combo. it tends to go away. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, the other good thing about it is that, you know, our deck's natural weakness, I would, I would say, is decks that are able to interact with it. Because, I mean, we're going to goldfish a lot of decks with this deck. And Wishclaw Talisman basically says... I'm going to take one of these combo pieces out of my hand and put it on the board. If I draw another piece of the combo, I'm going to use it and I'm going to win on the spot. Or I'm going to use it to interact with you if I don't draw the other piece of the combo. So it's basically, you never have an Emrakul stuck in your hand. It's on the board. And if you need it to be a seasoned Pyromancer instead, or an Abrade or a Lightning Bolt, it's one of those two. Well, and the the threat of second activation on your part right like you go ahead and grab the first part of the combo and you hand them this thing and you're just saying all right i dare you to use this and give it back to me because i will kill you (laughs) next turn so it doesn't even matter that they have it basically you know unless they're they're doing something to uh destroy the wish claw in response to their own activation you're just going to get the second half of the combo and win yeah and sometimes they can use it to kill you but (laughs) okay fine fine monkey's paw they get their own emrakul i think wish call talisman is definitely an underexplored card in modern the fact that there's three counters and not two is a big deal absolutely i described a a you know typical turn like turn zero to turn two or three ideal line um but we've got some uh typical lines and play patterns here that that the master himself has described um do you want to take us through some of these things yeah so uh, you know, we've got a lot of redundancy in our combo pieces. With the two wish claws, we've got six, you know, quote unquote copies of reanimation targets, or, or, or of Gorios rather, and seven copies of reanimate targets. Um, and we've got, you know, eight discard effects, four, four Asmo to find them, um, and four Sagas to find them. So we're always going to have a discard outlet. So that's plan A. Um, you're going to win almost every game that you, that you annihilate or six your opponent. And from there, uh, the next most powerful draws are going to be turn one, turn two Asmo draws. Um, ideally with Saga, um, and, and Saga itself can, will win you some games uh, just by itself in combination with other mid-range cards. But um, usually in you know game one, 
in the blind, no companions revealed. Um, I am keeping a hand that is uh, that is has the combo by turn three, has a turn one or two, turn two Asmo, or has a piece of the combo, uh, giving me you know pretty good outs to hit the second piece plus something else that I'm doing to interact, be it uh, you know a threat of an Asmo or you know some Bone Crusher Giants and Spyros. Uh, or, you know, uh, a neonate, neonate is great because neonate cycles. So you don't, you know, that it, it will help you dig the cards, you know, street rate, same thing. Um, one thing, if you have played combo decks in the past and know your sort of, uh, your math on your, your probabilities, um, if you have, uh, you know, if you have six copies of a card in your deck, uh, and you've seen, you know, there's 53 left in your deck, you've got about a 30% chance to hit one in your top three cards. Um, so it's a lot about drawing to your outs and knowing your knowing your percentages. Uh, you know, you're probably a lot more likely than you think to hit the second piece with uh, with six or seven uh, targets in your deck. Nice. And so, um, can you can you talk a little bit about how some of these hands develop into uh, a, a winning plan? Um, you know, you mentioned that sometimes uh, you have to make you know choices of, of when you pivot from the combo plan to the mid range plan. Like, how do you how do you know when is the the time to you know switch paths or, or whatnot? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like I said, normally uh, combo is plan A. Uh, plan B uh, will be any hand that is not the combo, and uh, the best hands involve Asmo and Saga, um, and. So, you know, those hands normally will kind of sequence themselves out well. You're just going to interact and play play a standard game of Magic the Gathering. Um, like I mentioned before, though, like you said, uh, there's normally a point where you kind of need to pivot. And you'll kind of know that point when you, you know, you know each turn you're evaluating the number of cards in each of your hands and what the board states look like. Um, and you just need to always kind of be looking out for, you know, how you're doing on cards. You know, if, if you... Um, if, if you have a good board state and you're ahead and they're up two or three cards on you and you're probably not going to win a game that goes long, right? You're, you, they're, they're probably going to win the resource battle. At that point, it probably makes sense to, to, to cookbook a couple cards in your hand, you know, shoot down that goyf and, and we're going for the, you know, we're going face, right? Um, but if, if it's a deck that is not uh, presenting sort of a, a, a strategy that, that, is more likely to win a resource battle, then it might make sense to hold some of those cards in your hand. Hope you draw a Spyro, discard the discard the fluff. Hope you hit the second combo piece, things like that. Um, uh, but but yeah, I, I will also note that Saga in this deck. Uh, you know, Zach mentioned that it's great turn one to find that that discard outlet, but I find that I unless it's unless I know for sure. I'm going against Tron or a combo deck or burn a deck. I have to win fast. I almost always sequence the saga out on turn two or turn three because uh, the deck is just so powerful. Um, it, it finds cookbook so easily. And uh, you know, it's so easy to, I mean, your land makes two five fives by turn four. That's just, that's just nuts. You know, and you win almost all of those games. I mean, games where you find two sagas, I've won multiple games where I don't cast a spell, um, right? I just don't cast a spell, and I and I and I and I crush my opponent. So, yep. Take that, Idol of the Great Rebel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, actually, so you mentioned that this is a very powerful deck. I don't think we ever covered. Um, your current record is quite impressive. Uh, and, and actually, this popped up on my radar after watching you in uh, the Dive Down Discord uh, just bring in trophy after trophy. Uh, what is your current record with this deck? Uh, my current record is it's, it's about an 80% win rate. I think I'm about 40 and 10 right now. Um, and I think that, you know, I, the deck is, uh, the deck is very powerful. The deck has some, some matchups that are tough. And I think some of the matchups may be getting even tougher. I'm seeing a lot of, I'll say the deck's natural predators are, uh, decks with a lot of copies of solitude and endurance and, uh, decks with, uh, with Teferi three, because you can't, uh, do anything with the shuffle trigger on the stack with a Teferi three out. Uh, so, uh, you know, and, and there's a lot of solitudes out there right now and, uh, and a good amount of endurances as well. Uh, but I still think that you can beat those decks. You know, you see that the sideboard, uh, if, if you look at the list is overloaded with void mirrors, uh, we've got six pieces of targeted hand disruption. You know, a lot of that stuff is in there, uh, specifically to, to get endurances and solitudes out of the hand and to keep the fairies off the board. Um, Yeah. Sounds like cool. Chalice Control is the nightmare matchup. Chalice Control, I was winning a lot of games against until it went from zero solitudes to three or four solitudes, and now it's 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 challenging. But you know that matchup, you're leaning really hard into, you know, the Bone Crusher Giant Spyro package is uh, one of the big things on Bone Crusher Giant is it kills the fairies with one counter on them, which you know seems pretty innocuous until you realize you know that your entire deck doesn't work anymore to a teferi with one chalice or one counter on it so <laughs> yeah and you do do a good job of splitting up their attention between the uh the mid-range elements which don't interact with the graveyard in any significant way with this graveyard based combo and um yeah it, but, but but they have a combination of cards that are like chalice on one is okay you you can you can overcome that rest in peace Okay, you can overcome that. Solitude and fairy, and it's like okay, okay, stop, stop, so much. Um, but but usually they don't have a perfect mixture of all of it. So um, you know, if they draw two supreme verdicts and you just end up Goro's vengeancing them, you're good to go. So uh, it, it's uh, certainly certainly very winnable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, do you have any unintuitive interactions or tips or tricks that we should note? Um, you know, I think that, you know, I, I took this through a league, uh, and I had some very odd, uh, matchups and interactions and, uh, bad luck. Um, but it seemed pretty, uh, easy to pilot at first glance, but then, you know, as I got deeper into the league, I found there were definitely some, uh, you know, little tricks you could play. Uh, I ended up hitting a, uh, against Mill a couple of times, and we were sort of chatting back and forth. And you know, you mentioned <laughs> things like um, sandbagging extra Emrakuls to pitch in response to surgical triggers and things like that. Uh, and so, you know, what kind of what kind of tips can you throw at anybody looking to pick this up? Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I have a a lot of these types of tips and tricks. I I, I, I... I, I always look out for little little edges and things like that. Uh, and, and I should note that I have built a sideboard guide and a primer for this deck. Uh, it's, it's just pinned on the top of my Twitter. Uh, so if you're interested, you can go look at that. It's got some more tips and tricks as well. Um, but I'll, I'll rattle off a few that I think are sort of uh, more important or are just more fun or interesting. 
Um, we talked a little bit earlier about activating Wishclaw. Um, don't be afraid to activate it. Um, you're going to get more uses out of, out of it than your opponent. Uh, I will. So I specifically included K Command and Shattering Spree because you can tutor them up with Wishclaw and then interact with the board and kill your Wishclaw in the same move. Um, uh, I have since actually, uh, I think, replaced the K Command with a, uh, a uh, Feed the Swarm as a way to tutor up something to answer an Alpine Moon or a Leyline or Rest in Peace. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's a lot of different things you can do with Wishclaw, and it'll. And I, I get in a lot of situations, especially against, you know, Blue Red Murktide, where I've got a Wishclaw on the board, and I basically I have a live draw of any Emrakul, any Grizzlebrand, any Gorios, or any Thoughtseize, right? Because then I could just tutor up whichever one I don't have and then punch it through. Uh, same with the you know feed the swarm. You tutor up the feed the swarm, kill the rest in peace, dump the grizzle, dump the grizzle brand of the Emrakul, Gorios it, and you know you win. So um, there's a lot of cool board states you could set up just by having that Wishclaw on there. Um, Teferi, uh, Teferi is a big problem, uh, and one of the reasons why I still have a copy of Grizzlebrand is because if Teferi is on the board and you have a Wishclaw, you 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 literally cannot uh, Gorios and Emrakul because rules. So you go and get the Grizzlebrand, put that in the graveyard, and Gorio's that, and it gets around the Teferi, no instant speed uh, plays. Um, and then just make sure you attack the Teferi to open up the rest of your game plan. Um, the pitch elementals I noted, uh, you know, Void Mirror and Thoughtseize is extremely important. Anytime any deck that you suspect an Endurance is coming in from the sideboard, you should be thinking about the Void Mirrors coming in, and you should have all of your Thoughtseize in for sure. Uh, Grizzlebrand, uh, you can shoot Grizzlebrand uh, with your Asmo, and it has lifelink, so you will gain life. Um, and I have drawn 14 uh, by activating Asmo on my Grizzlebrand twice. Um, you can do it after you attack as well, so uh, gain 21. And uh, the last thing would be uh, the Sanctifier Envec. Uh, basically does nothing against us, and everybody brings it in because they see we're doing stuff in our graveyard and we're a red-black deck. Um, but Emrakul is colorless, and so you just throw it in your graveyard, and it gets to go in your graveyard, and you go use it back. So anytime your opponent casts a Sanctifier Envec, uh, say, a, you know, a Silent Prayer, a Thinking, whomever, uh, you're in a pretty good spot. Sweet. Uh, so I, I have to ask, um, you know, I think we're we're a little bit uh, oddly timed here because the Esper Reanimator deck has just become quite popular with the release of Midnight Hunt uh, and some of the new cards with that. But you were on this, um, you know, about a month ago now, it seems like. Uh, and there were other people playing in the reanimator space at that time, but they were a lot more focused on the Unmarked Grave, Persist, Archon of Cruelty, and... Um, Sarah's emissary plan. What made you decide to go with Emrakul and Grizzlebrand instead of you know sort of following the rest of the pack there? Yeah, so uh, you know those lists. Uh, you know, I kind of think that they are a little bit. Uh, they lean more on the grindy aspect, and and you know, obviously Archon is not winning a game by itself uh, immediately, right? Archon will win games by itself, but it doesn't win a game immediately. Um, it, it creates a situation where you have control of the board and you have more, you know, cards in your hand. And, uh, you know, it also has a lot of redundancy in that, you know, there, a lot of them were running, you know, Priest of Fell rights and they were running uh, Burial rights and Unmarked Grape and Go Get Burial rights. So, you know, you, and, and the fact that 
frankly, once you reanimate Archon, if it dies, it stays in your graveyard, <laughs> which an Emrakul does not. Um, but I, you know, I think those ma- those decks, first off, I think probably aren't fast enough against a lot of matchups. You know, you see Terastodon in those lists for Tron, and you see, you know, Sarah's Emissary in those lists for for certain matchups where basically you just have to get Sarah's Emissary out immediately or you lose. Um, and then, you know, the other issue I thought with those decks was that uh, beyond the fact that Archon can just be removed um, is that a lot of them, the supporting package was, you know, some of them were running the Grief Ephemerate, some were running Stoneforge. Um, and those those packages, I think, just have a lot of weaknesses. You know, some of them were running, you know, Smallpox and things like that. And those are just strategies that have glaring weaknesses against certain big spots in top tier meta and uh and you know that part is not it wasn't very compelling to me um when you know i I think that if i couldn't get there with a mid-range package in this list i probably don't think this list could could hack it the this gorios list but the fact that we are as good as strong as we are against the black red luris type decks um and you know jun saga you know, those matchups, I think, are, are pretty positive matchups. And we also can goldfish Tron and Burn and other combo decks, uh, you know, and then we just, you know, we we fiddle with the cards to try and beat the, you know, the elementals matchups and the controls matchups. You know, I think there's a lot less, you know, when I build a deck like this, even though I'm, I'm not a, a grinder who's top eighting challenges every week, I'm thinking, how do I, how do I go eight and one? consistently you know and i you know you need a good matchup spread you can't you can't punt against two top tier strategies and expect to top eight every week right and so i'm always considering those things when i'm constructing the deck and the the persist archon list didn't have that now i will say these new esper lists i think are very strong i think having teferi having counter spells um you know they're you know they've got you know four prismatic endings and teferis to get rid of the the most traditional hate, even hard hate lately lanes and rest in pieces aren't going to stick. You know, I think the lists are very strong. I have not uh, tested against that list much. I suspect it's probably not a great matchup for us. And I think that matchup might have uh, an even better matchup spread against the field. Uh, you know, and I'm excited to try that list. Yeah, I, I want to sort of hone in on, you know, you mentioned if this didn't have such a great mid-range backup plan, you, you don't think it would be uh, doing quite as well. Well, I, in uh, classic uh, Brian fashion, decided to uh, take my own spin on this out, and I um, I ran it through uh, two leagues. It was an Esper build using Dacon, because I've liked Dacon in other decks, and I did not have the mid-range backup plan that this deck has. Uh, and as a result, I lost, uh, I think, at least three games where I had a turn two or three Emrakul. My opponent sat at five life, and I was unable to kill them as they clawed their way back, <laughs> and I did nothing for the rest of the game. Uh I had at least one game where we went to turn 19 because I was able to counter all of their stuff and keep them off the board. They were at one life, and I was entirely unable to finish them off because I had no backup threats. So I was just (laughs) scrambling to try and get my Emrakul Gorios. Um, And that was certainly uh, through many faults of my own construction there. Um, But I I think it's a, a really good point that you made, you know, this, this mid-range backup plan is also necessary to just get those final few points of damage through. 
uh, because I was able to watch as my opponent naturally drew into all of their basics or played their shock lands tapped uh, so that they didn't kill themselves. And that was totally fine because I had nothing else going on. So, uh, you know, word to the wise, it turns out that these bone crusher giants and these uh, seasoned pyromancers, even though they may be, um, you know, not what you think about when you think about uh, killing your opponent necessarily, um, they're, uh, they're a lot better at it than things like consider or otherworldly gaze or Dacon or counter magic. So, uh, yeah. My insulin neonates probably have, it's gone to their head. They've, they've, they've dealt the last uh, point of damage in a lot of games at this point. And so they're, they're probably, they're probably a little overproud at, uh, at this point. Yeah, I mean, you know, Menace is um, probably an underrated ability. I, I think a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, you know, it's a 1-1, one, one, whatever, I'll block it. And then they realize, oh, it actually takes two blockers or whatnot. I think Annihilator 6 and then Menace are, are a combo that, that's really underrated. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 the first time I closed out a game with insul- Insolent Neonate in one of these lists, I thought, oh, that's a fluke. And then the second and third time I saw something like that happen, I was like, okay, all right. It, it, it. and the you know the the one lightning bolt the stomp to the dome i mean they all they all make it happen um the calibrated blast lists that were out recently those kind of highlighted how um dealing 16 damage is frequently not enough and you need to build a deck that piles on just enough ways to needle out the extra points um Almost nobody is on a fetchless, shockless mana base. But once they get to game two and three, they can play all their shocklands tapped. They'll fetch the bare minimum. So you do need to have these these little things that can close that gap. And uh, and and neonates one of them. I mean, it's really I was I was not expecting it. I I disrespect and will continue to disrespect the insolent neonate because he's insolent <laughs> and he doesn't care. But uh, don't uh, don't think that it can't win you games. It absolutely can. You certainly learn uh, which decks have the fetchless, shockless mana bases, and which ones don't. Once you play a deck that is doing fifteen damage on turn two, and then really hoping that you do the next five to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. And it turns out, like I said, if you're not following it up with anything, they have the time to just naturally draw or slow play their lands, and um, yeah, you end up just watching in disappointment as you go zero uh, <laughs> and eight over two leagues. So. <laughs> Woohoo! Uh, well, uh, any any closing remarks? Any further thoughts on on, on that deck? Uh, I think that uh, pretty much covers it. I think it's a, a really powerful deck. I think that unless uh, a meta exists that has a lot of saga hate and uh, and a lot of graveyard hate uh, or a lot of fairies uh, or, or you know a lot of solitudes you know those are the cards that I would think you know might make me shy away from the meta but you know you can fight through I've won a lot of games against rest in pieces on the board soul guide lanterns on the board um, you know I've beaten you know solitudes and, and you know this deck is powerful enough to beat a lot of hate and I think you know turn two annihilator six combined with an ability to beat hate is is going to be strong enough in modern so definitely give this one a chance and you know you mentioned these hate cards have you given any consideration to splashing a third color or um you know trying to build the deck in a way where maybe you can 
fight against some of those hate pieces yourself. Um, you know, obviously running four colors so that you could run your own to fairies is a little much. Um, but you know, I was trying to imagine, is there a way that I can blink this Emrakul so that I can keep it or, um, you know, things like that, which is, is admittedly difficult. Uh, but yeah, do you have any, any thoughts on how you might adjust it if you did want to, to fight against those particular hate cards? Yeah, um, so I think to, to your blink point, the fact that it has protection from instance makes it pretty tough. Also, yeah. usually usually a hasty Emrakul is going to get the job done. Um, I would like to splash white in the list. Uh, the mana, actually, I, I think the mana, you know, is tougher than it looks. Saga makes all mana bases uh, tougher than they look. You know, you need turn yeah. one red, in the, but you also need turn two black for Gorios. But then you also want to be sequencing out your sagas on turn two and three and not turns four and five. Um, so, you know, I have done three color lists and with Saga and it's been tougher. Uh, I would like to splash white though. I think that um, if you could make the mana work, having access to prismatic endings, which is a, a busted card and I think is particularly busted in any black red deck trying to do anything with their graveyard um, because you just have to be able to interact with some of the most popular hate. You have to be able to interact with Soul Guide Lantern and things like that. Um, and then also uh, something like a Silence in the board could be interesting, especially just even like a Miser's copy because with the two Wish Claws, you know, it's going to give you situations where you can play through endurances and solitudes and also, uh, you know, counter spells. Uh, so I think it, it could be a really uh, good addition. And that's the next area I'd be working on with the list. Cool. Yeah, I think the very first version of any of these I played was a Mardu list that was the first one that popped up. And it uh, it was uh, able to play things like Prismatic Ending and um, uh, and Silence out of the sideboard, which I was really surprised by how good Silence can be. Um, sort of like Veil of Summer, you can play it at the beginning of a turn and your opponent has to decide to counter it or not. And once they decide not, they're not doing anything. Yeah. The good news is that you do have access to a Mardu Triome, so that should mm-hmm. make the mana a little bit easier, although at the cost of some speed. So, mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so you are not a single-note brewer, as most brewers are not. Um, uh, I know that I have some brews in my back pocket that I'm always looking at, working on, working at. So uh, what, uh, what other things are you excited to try in this new world of uh, Innistrad and uh, what, what are some what are some decks that you work on that you're like ah oh, I can't can't crack this someone help <laughs> uh, a lot a lot of decks that I need help on uh, sadly uh, yeah so I guess uh, I have some pet cards I think all brewers have some pet cards that they're trying to make work uh, I'll share one anecdote uh, Zach when you first top aided uh, a challenge with your uh, Velomachus list I uh, that same week, <laughs> I forrowed a prelim with a Jund Assault Loam list, and neither of yes, us got posted. And that I was I was really bummed for both of us because I know we were both excited <laughs> to, to get something posted there. Um, and so yeah, uh, so yeah, I have some pet cards that I that I'm always brewing around. I really do like uh, sort of grindy strategies, but uh, I kind of don't really like playing Tarmogoyfs. I really like my grandy strategies to win in a grandy way. I love Loam strategies. I love Pac strategies. Um, I've been playing around a lot with Ayula's Influence uh, to some success. Um, been trying it with some Slow Gurk. Um, and then I have a few other, you know, uh, kind of 
interesting stuff I've been working on. I, I like uh, Retreat to Coral Hum strategies. Uh, Saga into Altar of the Brood is something I've been trying to break pretty hard. Um, uh, I love Protean Hulk combo decks. Uh, the stuff I'm kind of seriously working on right now, though, is uh, an Abzan Pox list uh, with uh, with Rankle, a, a, a deck I call uh, Eight Liquid Metal, uh, which is the 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 eight liquid metal effects one of them i keep in the sideboard because there's cards in the list uh combined with uh, a bunch of shatter effects that also have some you know like eight rip apart a braid so you know it has versatility but also can you know nuke lands uh and then uh and then that sort of that uh like an alone eula's uh type of strategy um I'm also, I have a couple other brews of this list that I'm toying around with. I, I really wanted to make, uh, I had a sweet list that instead of the Emrakuls, you know, the one downside of Emrakul is it shuffles your graveyard. And you'll see in my sideboard guide that, you know, I board out Emrakuls, not all of them, but some of them against attrition strategies because I want to be able to put Grizzlebrand in my graveyard and not have it leave my graveyard. Um, and so there is benefit to being able to pitch, you know, targets and have, you know, make Gorios a better top deck later in the game. And I had four Godo, uh, the Bandit Lord, to go and fetch me up uh, Caldra Complete and uh, swing for 11 on turn two uh, and leave the Caldra Complete behind. Uh, and, you know, it, with a Stoneforge package as well, which I think would have been a very strong strategy right up until they printed Prismatic Ending. And so... Uh, <laughs> And so I almost brought Goto back to modern, but not quite. Um, and I, I think, uh, you know, I'm always tooling around with Amulet Titan. Um, I I have some pretty cool lists that have had some pretty good success. Uh, and recently I was, uh, I, I added some good uh, pieces to the deck. I, I helped contribute to the Swan Songs being a, a staple in the sideboard and, uh, and uh, a couple other things like that. Um, always trying to sort of iterate on that. Uh, and, and my favorite deck that I like to play, uh, it's one of the only three that I have built in paper. I have Amulet Titan, I have this Gorios deck, and I have a, a blue-green Heartbeat of Spring early harvest uh, list. Uh, I use Time Reversal to shuffle it, uh, shuffle my uh, graveyard deck into my deck multiple times, and then I blue sums my opponent out of the game. So uh, I did Whoa. just miss a 5-0, uh, I don't know, maybe about a year ago. Uh, but Uro getting banned, unfortunately, uh, was collateral damage. So I, this looks like something I played in standard of uh, Kamigawa <laughs> with Heartbeat of Spring and just like giant blue and green spells to win the game. So it's uh, definitely definitely got a soft spot for something like this. I don't even know what some of these cards. are. <laughs> you never registered a precognition field man you're just I, not living i actually that was one of the few cards i did know what it did <laughs> <laughs> so so time reversal time, is, is time reversal basically just gonna be worse than uh, echo of eons now i think pretty much maybe i considered echo of eons uh I, but it's been so long since i've like seriously thought about this list because it's not actually yeah, yeah. a serious list. Um, it's a card that I've sure, sure. I would, I would, uh, it's on my, it's on my radar for sure. Yeah. So I, I kind of feel like there has to be a card printed that's better than uh, time reversal and also better than um, precognition field at this point. Cause I feel like they've been playing around a lot more with the look at the maybe. top of your deck and play cards. Um, 
I don't know. For like an instant sorcery based thing, there might not be for precognition field. It's it's pretty narrow and specific. Uh, but you could just play a uh, future sight, right? Because yeah, you know, that precognition field is a mana cheaper, but it's also yeah. But I don't know if it's that's worth it for the yeah. although. But but it does have the particular clause of uh, three mana exile the top card of your library, which n nothing nothing else similar has. When you're floating right. like ninety mana, usually it's pretty easy to just exile like forty cards off the top of your library. I'm also kind of curious about. Um... You know, early harvest versus something like a uh, wilderness reclamation. Although, you know, you can do this many times per turn. And if you're shuffling things back into your deck, that makes sense. So you, you just keep chaining it. Yep. I mean, I think the obvious loss for this deck was Mystic Sanctuary, right? Because that you could early harvest, then put it on top, draw it, early harvest. And then you've got like 30 mana. And, and at that point, you can kind of deterministically get through whatever you need to. Uro was actually great because Uro is, you know, you were putting so much in your graveyard anyway, you would just escape Uro, then escape a different Uro, then escape a different <laughs> Uro because you just had like a hundred mana anyway. And so it wasn't easy well, to just keep drawing cards and playing lands. I feel like this, this, this deck is one of those ones where you can get it to the point where you exile everything that isn't business and shuffle it in enough times that like you end up with like a 10 card deck that's all business. I mean, all you need is I... 60 mana and blue sun zenith. Usually that's the goal. Right. And at that point, you've usually spent like 15 minutes of game clock, and your opponent's usually pretty sick of you anyway, so you're trying to kind of get things over with quickly. Right. I... And let's be real. Like, you only need 53 mana with the blue sun zenith. I mean, unless you ran into some psycho who's playing Orion. I uh, I really like the fact that, that you just made the statement, all you need is 60 mana and a blue sun zenith. <laughs> And that was not in jest. That was not tongue in cheek in any way. That was just that, that was that was. Uh, these, these are just the and... facts, Brian. This is a very serious brew, and that's that that is the minimum requirement. I, I mean, this this speaks to me. Uh, <laughs> and there are so many new additions with the with the um, the consider and the otherworldly gaze. You know, uh, the echo of eons does seem like it would fit here. Although apparently, this makes so much mana, it doesn't matter. Uh, I like this. I'm probably going to end up fiddling with some bad variant of this now. So uh, thank you for wasting my money. Um, I, I, I apologize in advance for your ticket collection. Uh, I also I noticed that this is a 61 main card deck. Um, I, are you uh, are you a follower of the are you a disciple of Jiggy Wiggy? Is that what's happening here? I think I think it was a I added a card and I forgot to subtract a different card. There you go. So what if people want to keep up with your crazy ideas and brews and just general observations of the world? Yeah. Uh, so I am uh, I am grilled cheese MTG on Twitter, but that is cheese with a with a Z uh, and no E. So C H E E Z. Um, I usually post. Uh, I, normally, my, my normal process is I uh, I have decks like uh, you know the Scorios list that that I test uh, pretty extensively. I, I once I get a brew to a point where I feel like it's tuned well enough to to give it some real reps and like I think it might be a real deck, I'll usually put in a lot of reps. I'll usually keep a, a tracker of my results uh, based on archetype, uh, match and game wins. 
Uh, I'll put together a little primer and a sideboard guide uh, so that if people want in the community are interested, they can pick it up and, and give it a run. Um, and then I'll usually post any brews that I'm kind of working out that are maybe close. I won't be keeping, you know, a, as good of a, you know, tracking of results, but, you know, once it gets to a point where I think it won't be like humiliating for someone to bring it to an F and M, uh, I'll post it, uh, in case people find it interesting. So, uh, you know, you could reach me there. I'm grilled cheese, uh, all words spelled correctly on MTGO. Um, and, uh, that's, that's pretty much the extent of my, uh, my socials. Cool. And uh, I know we can find you in our Discord, and I found you in the Dive Down Discord. Um, and I think I've seen you in, uh, as you said, you're in, you, you are the uh, administrator of the Amulet Titan Discord. So uh, it seems like you also get around on Discord. So, uh, you know, be on the lookout for grilled cheese in Discord. <laughs> I'm awesome. just on the lookout for grilled cheese all the time. Um, yeah. Do you have uh, any, any more, uh, any last parting wisdom? Uh, uh, no, I want to thank you guys for, for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, love your cast and, uh, looking forward, to, uh, you know, continuing to, to talk to you guys and, uh, and, uh, I hope everybody, uh, annihilates, uh, six permanents, uh, in a lot of games coming up soon. Awesome. And well, you've been, uh, you've been sharing your brews and getting input on the Serum Visions discord, which is totally free for anyone to join. Um, I think you've found some uh, some receptive ears and some excited, uh, interesting people who uh, always have wacky, crazy ideas to share. Um, and anyone who's listening to this can join that um, by checking out the link in uh, your podcast player uh, or on podbean.com. I've got one on my stream, so if you drop by the Mana Symbol stream, you can get that, or you can probably get it by messaging uh, Serum Visions MTG on Twitter. So any t- any way you want to join that, it's totally free, and we've got all sorts of crazy, excited brewers in there who, uh, who just love to go deep on weird cards. Um, and uh, not start off their decks with uh, Thoughtseizes and Tarmogoyfs, as you suggested. <laughs> no hate yeah. to Thoughtseize or Tarmogoyfs. No, 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 no. And and there are a few brewers in there who, who will say, you know, your idea is great, but what if we just play some Thoughtseize and Tarmogoyf in there? <laughs> <laughs> Boo, good cards. Yay, bad cards. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes you got to play Season Pyromancers to make your Emrakuls all the sweeter. Yeah, yeah. Well, right. thank you very, very much for joining us. Uh, it's uh, It's been a pleasure, and I am definitely looking forward to hopefully getting my computer working again uh, <laughs> and jamming some of this list uh, this evening. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, I guess we'll uh, see everyone real soon for our regularly scheduled Serum Visions uh, episode, and uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, take care. See ya. Thanks for listening to episode 26B of the Serum Visions podcast. If you like what we do and you want to get in touch with us, you can find us at twitter.com slash serumvisionsmtg, email us at serumvisionspod at gmail.com, or join us on the Discord from the link in the episode description of your podcast player or at serumvisions.podbean.com.
I was just about to comment on that. I don't think I've ever actually seen somebody play Precognition Field. Um, and actually, I, I had a... Uh, oh, boy. Sorry. <laughs> I know. I, you got the little Kool-Aid man busting in here. Do you want to... Do you want to say hello real fast? Hello. Say hello. Hello. Okay. Say bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right.